Hello and welcome to the Milestone Podcast, a home for positive fan culture. And here to talk about all things nerdy, I'm your co-host Henry. I am with the co-host Matthew. And this week on the show, we will be discussing the big guy himself, Steven Spielberg. Um, Steven, yeah, I feel it's going to be quite a big one in terms of just how many films to go through. I guess in terms of just because, mm. like, there's when when people like we think about him, there's errors to it. <laughs> mm. There's actual errors of like. He did this sort of run and then this sort of run and then, you know, it's just kind of a a career that's similar to J.J. Abrams, very, you know, envious. You can't, you can't, mm. kind of can't help but feel that uh, he's got the life. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, that'll be our big topic today. But as ever, to remind you, have the Instagram account at Marvelous Cinema Podcast, uh, where we do reviews and rankings at the moment. Uh, I guess in the lead up, to, we didn't really plan this, but in, in the lead up to Ant Man in Quantumania, uh, we are ranking uh, the the different phases of Marvel. So we're doing Phase Two ranked, Phase Three ranked, and so forth. Something um, to uh, look forward to, and just reviews coming up anyway as well. Um, so yeah, hope you enjoy that. Give us a follow, give us a like, and get in contact any way you can. Um, but yeah, first of all, we have the news of the week. Mm, we do. I'd like to apologise during that segment for the audacity of not putting my phone on silent. I forgot. And it kind of went off in the middle of that. Uh, I'll, so I'll probably edit it out. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll edit it out, but I'll still keep this bit in. Just to confuse <laughs> Just to confuse everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So news. Kind of a big week, um, oh. mainly because of something that was unveiled on the day we actually recorded last week, which felt wrong kind of uploading an episode two days after and just not mentioning it. <laughs> right. Um, and that was James Gunn's DCU slate. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was after our last one, yeah. Yeah, it happened. I don't know how much of it you've seen. I watched the whole video and I've heard a lot of talk because I'm just very... I'm very interested in hearing anything from DC at this point. Okay, that's good. Okay, so um, Gunn and Safran have unveiled at least part of their vision for the future of DC with information on their processes and their first kind of MCU-esque phase, which they have called Chapter One, Gods and Monsters. Mm-hmm. They've emphasised a kind of a writer-friendly approach and they've got a very detailed vision for what they want to go, where they want to go. Uh, kind of each step of the way. The writers' team that they've assembled includes Gunn, obviously, includes Drew Goddard from The Martian, Daredevil, Cabin in the Woods, a few other things. Uh, Jeremy Slater, who helmed Marvel's Moon Knight and worked on Doom Patrol. Crystal Henry, who worked Mm. on Watchmen. Christina Hobson, who wrote Birds of Prey and Bumblebee, as well as the cancelled Batgirl film and the upcoming Flash film. Hmm. as well as comics writer Tom King. Remember that name for later. <laughs> um, and the CEO duo, so Gunn and Safran, emphasise that they're bringing all mediums under their banner so their universe will function with one primary continuity, including film, television, animation and video games. So kind of unlike Marvel and the kind of branching out, and it's probably a bit like Star Wars because their, their con- continuity involves films, hmm. games and games as well. Um, that means that the Batman Part 2, which will go ahead, and the Joker sequel, uh, again also going ahead, will be clearly labelled Elseworlds, like they've done in the past with comics. Yeah. Um, 
The plan involves using established characters that the DC is famed for, as well as integrating unknown characters alongside them. They have emphasised that they did need to recast Henry Cavill as Superman in order for their plan to work, but have mm. also said that many of the actors like Gal Gadot, Jason Momoa, Ezra Miller and Zachary Levy will have the door open to them to continue in their roles. Mm. They've also said that if a character appears in live action, animation and a video game, they will want the same actor to return to play or, or voice them. Yeah. Um, that has actually been a little bit controversial, especially when it comes to the video games. Um, I can, yeah, some video I can see game why, producers maybe. have objected to that. Yeah, I can see why. Uh, maybe. Uh, yeah. Um, so the the plan itself and the projects the projects announced. Um, there's obviously the stuff that's already going ahead this year and confirmed to release. Um, they will still happen, but before the new chapter of their stuff comes in. Go and confirm that The Flash, which he hyped up and praised, will reset the universe. And interestingly, <laughs> separately, um, Peter Safran commented on the cancellation of Batgirl, saying that the previous leadership made the right decision as it was unreleasable in terms of its quality. Oh, wow, okay. Um, very brutal. Yeah. But for the new stuff itself... Um, the slate will kick off with Superman Legacy, which is set over 2025. Gunn will write and Saffron wants him to direct it, which is becoming a more likely outcome. Uh, it will feature a Superman in his mid-twenties, but is not an origin film. Saffron said it focused on Superman balancing his Kryptonian heritage with his human upbringing. He is the embodiment of truth, justice in the American way. He has kindness in a world that thinks kindness is old-fashioned. Mm. Um Kind of building off the back of that, the DCU will have a separate Batman to Matt Reeves' version of the character. Uh, in the film Batman the Brave and the Bold, it will take heavy inspiration from Grant Morrison's comic run of the same name, which sees Bruce Wayne working with his son Damian Wayne as Batman and Robin. Um, it's kind of an attempt at doing the Bat family justice. There's also Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, which is inspired by a comic run of the same name again, by Tom King, who I mentioned earlier as part of the writer's room. Mm-hmm. Um, that's supposedly going to be a more hardcore take on the character um, then when it comes to properties we haven't seen before there's a group called the Authority will get a film, they're kind of like super beings who protect the world by rather overzealous means and the chapter will conclude with a Swamp Thing movie which James Mangold is in talks to direct this news didn't come as part of the press conference but came out as a report later oh. in terms of television There'll be a Paradise Lost series which focuses on the island of Themyscira and will be Gaming Thrones inspired as well as a true detective style Green Lantern series with Green Lanterns Hal Jordan and John Stewart with kind of like a space cop duo. There'll also be a Booster Gold series as well as a show centred around Amanda Waller which will directly follow season one of Peacemaker and feature members of the team in, from that series. And there's also an animated series called Creature Commandos. I don't think I've missed anything, but I might have done. (laughs) (laughs) Just maybe. Um, Yeah, Yeah. I mean, what do you feel about that kind of slate? Um, I think it's. I think it's interesting. There's a lot in there. I kind of like the look of. Mm. Um, I feel like it. It feels strangely sparse. I don't know if I've just been spoiled. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's it's interesting. It's. You know, they're going with new versions of Superman, obviously, but they're also going to kind of run Batman at the same time. Mm. Um, I'm very excited about the Supergirl film. For some yeah, strange reason. me too, yeah. Whenever I've seen comic panels from that from that comic, it always looks like it's interesting, at least. Mm. Um, we don't know if it's going to be the same actress that plays Supergirl in The Flash. Who knows? Um, or it could even be... Um, 
the woman that played her on the the CW series, you never know. Um, Melissa Benoit, I think. Is that her name? Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's an interesting lineup. I kind of like the approach of having the, the big characters alongside the main, the ones we're, we're familiar with. But yeah, what do you think of it? I quite love it, actually. I think when I mm. started hearing about it and uh, what's the video, I think I just love the idea that it was, it was both uh, what I expected James Gunn to do, which was bring in some mm. characters that you may not have heard about, um, some slightly edgier characters you can imagine, like even Swamp Thing, who is more popular, I imagine, but is still quite, mm. you know, on the kind of brink of uh, being kind of a, a Suicide Squad or even kind of a like an R-rated sort of feature thing. Mm. Um, so I kind of it was kind of half what I expected and half what I I, I think... It's going to be interesting to see James go and handle in characters where they're the actual like main heroes. <laughs> um, mm. I think it's very interesting that he's writing the Superman movie um, because I I feel like he just wants to always be handling the the you know the rat catches <laughs> of the universe. Mm. Um, so I think it's it's going to be incredibly exciting to see what he does, and I feel like he he knows when to. Uh, change his writing style for the tone of the film. Um, mm. I can't really imagine that. Even though I'm, I'm sure it'll be kind of humour uh, sprinkled in, that'll be very similar. I can't imagine that Suicide Squad and Superman <laughs> Legacy will have like similar tones. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I can't. I really, I'm very excited, and I can't wait for. Um, I feel like yeah, I feel like it's the obvious ones, but the obvious ones for me are this Superman Legacy, Batman, uh, Brave and the Bold. Um, I just really can't wait Supergirl as well I, I can't wait to see just the actual main heroes of DC getting their due finally mm. um, it's insane because I feel like it's a, a common thing to say and it's but it kind of forget how insane it is that we live in a world where Iron Man and Captain America are far more popular than Superman and even Arkham mm. Batman um, it's kind of insane that that's the world we live in now because Marvel is so good, and then DC just fumbled around, I guess, for like a decade. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of insane. Um, so I'm just very excited to see. Also, a Superman film where the whole point is that he's just a very nice guy. <laughs> mm, yeah. um, I love uh, Henry Cavill, and I, I quite do like the the Snyder take on the character. But I feel like that's the kind of take that you get in the character after having a modern day, uh, you know, kind you know, what you expect from the character inter- iteration, um, mm. which he never really got for the past decade, or even more than that, really. Um, so, yeah, I'm just very excited, and I really can't wait to just see a consistent universe, but I feel like James Gunn understands that consistency is key, but also let directors do what they need to do to make it their own thing. Um, I think that, for me, is the big highlight here, where when he says storytelling is king at the end, I think... Um, and that the director's vision is what gets put first. And I feel like the big comment, and it's insane that we live in this world that where this happens all the time, but his big comment that made me generally very happy uh, was that no film will go into production without having a completed script. Um, <laughs> it is insane that that is something that needs to be said. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. Um, but having someone actually say that and say it with confidence and like this is what we're doing and not give release dates, even though it would be nice to have them, to not give release dates because we don't 
there's no script yet. Like, I think that's a smart, like, why would you put something, why would you say something's coming out in two years' time when nothing's been done about it yet? Um, mm. And then rush the whole process to get out, you know, on that date. It just makes no sense, really. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, overall, I'm very excited. I'm very happy with the whole lineup, really. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's, I think it's just really promising and really exciting to just actually see see a, a kind of a vision for it that is so closely aligned with kind of the comics and wanting to really kind of focus in on it. Obviously, I'm not saying that Marvel aren't or whatever, but I think it's just interesting more coming off what DC's had before, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I'm not kind of meaning that as a comparison to Marvel, just in terms of you know looking at the comics and kind of more directly following them and trying to trying to actually make a unified story, which they just seem to have struggled with until now. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. But yeah. So that's quite a promising DC slate there. Um, swapping over to Marvel for Reddit News now. Um, producer Nate Moore, who uh, works with Marvel Studios, has said they've had, they're have had changing their procedures when it comes to test screenings. And this has kind of been talked about a little bit. Um, apparently before when they used test screenings, they allowed um, kind of Marvel employees to kind of bring friends and family. Right. And judge kind of the audience reception based off that but apparently they've now had to stop that because they want to stop all the leaks that have been happening oh right um it kind of has raised concerns because obviously you're kind of excluding the party that aren't part of the studio Mm. um but i i mean i personally i don't think it makes that much of a difference between the marvel employees and the families of marvel employees (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's not really that, that big of a difference and you know test screenings are a strange thing very strange <laughs> you know, they're, they're, yeah. they're a very kind of big studio thing um the idea of kind of changing someone's vision just because a few audience members didn't like it or because you know because there's kind of some some conflict that's arisen because of the test screens always been an alien concept to me i mean fair enough some sometimes it's useful to know if an audience is going to absolutely hate something mm, yeah um but i guess when it comes to minute changes it, it is a strange thing to, to come across um elsewhere uh, happy news now for everyone uh, the <laughs> last of us episode three which came out last week we talked about it last night you and me um almost universally loved Apart from from the people who have review bombed it. Oh, okay, of course. I think we all know why. Yeah, yeah, we know why. Um, apparently, um, it was worthy of that kind of treatment from those people. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's that. Um, news kind of came out as well that the boys on Amazon Prime outperformed all of last year's MCU shows. Um, oh, quite an interesting statistic. Uh, people have kind of mentioned that there was kind of a more scattered approach in terms of what Marvel were doing, but nonetheless, the boys proved very popular. I haven't. So was it last series season three? I yeah, it was yeah. I yeah, I guess I haven't seen season three. So weirdly enough, I started it and then just I, I don't know, I just forgot it existed for a bit. I didn't get back mm. to it. Yeah, I'm I'm a bit I'm a bit strange about the boys. To be honest, I don't I don't dislike it. I think it's fine. Yeah. I think he has I a great don't... villain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, he does. Absolutely phenomenal villain. Great performance as well. Um, yeah. Um, following on from last week, um, got a bit of J.J. Abrams news. Ooh. 
Um, J.J. Abrams and Bad Robot will adapt with Warner Brothers Stephen King's thriller novel of Billy Summers. Bad Robot were in talks to adapt it as a series like they did with 11-22-63. However, it will be released as a film. It is unclear whether or not Abrams will direct it. Hmm. Um, I would like to see J.J. Abrams do a horror film. That'd be interesting. I don't necessarily think it's a horror. I think Billy Summers is one of his more... Oh. Uh, because he, he's done a few um, kind of mystery type things. Hmm. Uh, I think Billy Summers might be something more along the lines, but I might be wrong. I might be wrong. Right. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's good to see him kind of back on something. Yeah. I'd like him to direct it because he hasn't done anything since Skywalker, as we mentioned last week. Um, yeah, see him do something. <laughs> yeah. Um, and last bit of news for this week it's Read of the Week, everybody. Hey. And this is a this is a genuine read of the week report as well, by the way. This isn't one of these ones I've had to search for. Um <laughs> this is genuine. And it's yeah. actually one that I have actually noticed before and it's one that I, I really like. Oh, okay. Um it's kind of my favourite one now. I would you know, I've got my fingers crossed for this one. Uh, <laughs> Charles Murphy has reported that the apparent front runner is now Dev Patel. Oh I can see that working, yeah. Yeah, I watched the newsroom recently, um, which is great, by the way. I loved it. Um, he's in it, and there is a scene in the very last episode where I kind of watched it and I thought, "That's Reed Richards." <laughs> That's my guy. Um, it, and as well, it kind of, he kind of fits with what Marvel have gone for in the past. He's a fairly well-known name, um, but hasn't necessarily had like a big career-defining role. Yeah, he's sort of just done a lot of good things. <laughs> yeah, he's also probably around the eight, the right age, if you're thinking like a 10, 15 year contract for him. Mm. Um, he's, I think he's 32 or something like that, early 30s anyway. Um, which kind of contrasts with someone like Adam Driver, who's obviously very famous for doing uh, Star Wars films, as well as kind of a few other things like Marriage Story. Yeah. Um, Whereas a lot of kind of Dev Patel's perhaps more famous things did come earlier in his career, like Slumdog Millionaire. So yeah, uh, Dev Patel rumored for Reed Richards. I could definitely, could definitely see that happening. Yeah, that could work. So yeah, that's the news. <laughs> Good that's news. The news, everybody. Big news, fun news, all news. Mm-hmm. Marvel Cinema Podcast. <laughs> yeah. <I don't> know. <laughs> um, so yeah, Steven Spielberg, everybody. Yeah, the guy. That Where guy. do we even begin? Do we, do we begin at the beginning? Do we begin with the most popular? Where do we begin? I yeah, good point. I guess, I guess, whew, I guess for me, I, I think it's interesting to talk about kind of that his most popular films. I guess in terms of just mm. both, it's a blockbuster and it's extremely good and it made a lot of money, <laughs> which he has quite a few of. Because mm. um, of course he does. He's just that good. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think. Out of all his like big blockbusters, um, for you, which one is kind of a highlight? I guess, like out of all the <sighs> Indiana Joneses, Jurassic Parks, and ETs and Jaws, what mm. works the best? You, you've gone in with you've gone in with an evil question. I know. <laughs> um, how do you uh, how do you pick one? <laughs> My natural kind of inclination is to go with an Indiana Jones film, mm. but I suppose, I suppose I always associate Indiana Jones with being 
Not necessarily just as much, but a good portion also of George Lucas. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when it comes to kind of describing Steven Spielberg's kind of, kind of highlights, it feels <laughs> almost, not necessarily wrong, but it feels feels like I'm not giving him his full credit to pick an Indiana Jones film. Yeah. Um, <sighs> I can't. This is the podcast I now. Can't, I can't. I can't. I just can't. Can't do it. <laughs> I guess. Strangely, even though it's not necessarily my favourite Steven Spielberg film, whenever I whenever I hear the name Steven Spielberg, I think of E.T. Yeah, I think it. It says a lot as well that his um, company logo is the E.T. moon silhouette. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's it's kind of subliminal drilled into us. From, from yeah, it's kind of it's the film that is him. <laughs> yeah, um, I I'd say it was either it was either E.T. or um, Saving Private Ryan. Mm, yeah, they're point. the two I yeah. probably go for. Obviously, there's a lot more, but those are kind of the two I go for. Mainly yeah. because they're both kind of they both summarize everything he's about. I suppose. There yeah, is, kind of... if, if, if you were to try and funnel him into two different films, it would be the kind of energetic, more sci-fi adventure kind of style of something like E.T., or it's the more historical, kind of deeply serious, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um, like the, the historical, almost biographical kind of films, like like Saving Private Ryan, um, Schindler's List, Munich... Um, Bridge of Spies as well, a more recent one. Hmm. So yeah, um, you're not getting away with this. What's your? You're going to have to pick one now. Or, or I get, two. I, I think. Two, so. <laughs> I think for me, um, I think oddly enough, it comes down to Catch Me If You Can, hmm. which is a film I I constantly come back to for hmm. some reason. I just I find it so heartwarming and energetic, and just such like a a massive experience of a film. Like it really goes throughout like the entire life of one person and this whole mm. kind of and I guess it kind of mixes two elements of Spielberg was it's a very entertaining blockbuster, huge star film, but it's also a real life story that is at times quite serious as well. Um and I think other than that, I think honestly in some ways it's too, maybe it's too recent to say this, but I just want to say it just because it's, I find it a very it's a very good film, and I think it's because I'm going to find it hard going forward to kind of decouple Steven Spielberg and his latest film because it's so much about him. Um, mm, yeah, I think The Fablemans is going to be in my head quite a lot, as in for like him as a person because I watched yeah. that film quite recently in a cinema, and it's such a an odd experience of watching because you see so many biopics and the biopic usually is a director taking on the life of someone uh, famous who was either uh, you know a pop star or an author or something like that or you know it's like it's very rare that the <laughs> the actual life of the director is the story that he's telling um, mm. and I, I remember having this kind of kind of a similar experience in a weird way to the Elvis film because um, mm. my dad loves Elvis and I didn't realise until about five minutes to, into that film that I actually knew everything about this guy's life just because I was, <laughs> my dad told me um, and it was a very similar experience with uh, The Fablemans where 
about like two minutes in, I realized like, oh, I, I know this. I know that's how like <laughs> I knew that his first film was The Greatest Show on Earth, and I knew that at some point he met John Ford, and I knew like I knew just these little bits and pieces here and there. Um, I knew that he was inspired a lot by uh, just a lot of cowboy films at the time, and I knew that. Mm. I just, I was like, oh, I know this guy's life story, weirdly enough. Um, and then it's just a heartfelt film, and it's just a weird kind of... It combines a lot of Spielberg-isms in the sense that it's incredibly well shot, but that isn't just... It's not just there because it looks nice. Um, the well-shot nature of it is that it elevates what's on the page and what the actors are doing. Um there's so much about the direction in that film and across his entire filmography where you're just like, the film would have been good directed by anyone else because the script and the actors uh, are so good. Uh, Jaws probably would have been a really good film um, without Spielberg directing, maybe. Um, but Spielberg being there elevates the whole thing to another level um, and makes most films he touches just a timeless sort of thing. Um I think that kind of sums it up really where his films, no matter when he's made them, feel timeless. Um, yeah, yeah. It's sort of weird to like kind of, you watch Indiana Jones now and it, it feels like a modern blockbuster still. Um, mm. It's kind of incredible. He's so far ahead, ahead of the game, I guess, that he can just, his natural way of viewing the world is so just energetic and it's so helpful to people the people that he's filming to kind of the way he captures performances is so um well realized and i feel like if the if the director's job is to you know find out where the camera should be placed then like there's no one kind of better that i can imagine working now that gets it right as many times as spielberg, spielberg does um mm. he just gets it right every time really um and i think yeah, I think that's kind of my two. Because um, I just think it combines this real-life drama with this blockbuster Hollywood gloss that he's so good at. <laughs> um, so I think that's my two for him that kind of stand out to me. But, you know, there's... I mean, do you want to talk about a bit about this the insane run in, like, the 90s that he had where he was just <laughs> just doing Jurassic Park and then doing Schindler's List like back the to same back. year <laughs> like that's insane how it is you... my god yeah I mean this guy's career is insane but there's a, a very specific era I would say in the 90s where he was just back to back just making amazing films but <laughs> just having mm. just doing it because he could <laughs> um, yeah so well for you like what is Jurassic Park is that kind of a a childhood classic for you? Um, I never really watched it as a kid, to be honest. Honestly, the same, yeah. <laughs> it was it was kind of, my interests were just elsewhere. Like, I never, I didn't really watch DT until later either. Hmm. Um, or the, um, I don't think it was Spielberg, but I think it was, was he involved in the Goonies in some way? I feel like it's a Steven Spielberg yeah. type thing. Like a production, I think you did. <laughs> yeah, um, and so, kind of, that, that, those set of films were definitely more for my, more with my parents, kind of. Well, not even then; it'd probably be a bit too late. In fact, strike that comment. I didn't mention my parents' ages. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, kind of those those films that a lot of people think of, kind of the, the childhood classics of Spielberg, like E.T. and Jurassic Park. It were never, never necessarily there for me. Mm. Um, they're kind of films I came to later. 
Yeah. But I feel like Jurassic Park is kind of... It's a really good kind of... Sim- or not simplification, but a simple kind of viewpoint of looking at what Steven Spielberg does. Mm. Especially when it kind of comes to the, the adventure action aspect. Uh, I know I didn't necessarily mention it in, in when I was saying about the films I think of, but I think if you want almost to sum him up in one film, Jurassic Park is a kind of a good place to start. Yeah. Um, and it, it kind of comes at a point in his career in the kind of the early 90s where, you know, he made Jaws in 75 and he, he's gone through the 80s making some, you know, some impressive films. Um, so almost 20 years kind of into his career, Jurassic Park kind of comes at a point where maybe you're thinking, is he kind of going to slow down now? Has <laughs> yeah. he peaked? Yeah. Has has his career peaked? And then to come out with a film, not just that film, but Schindler's List in 1993 as well, to come out with two films after you know nearly 20 years that are arguably his best. Hmm. Um, it's a strange position to be in, because you kind of mentioned his films being timeless. I think it shouldn't be underestimated how incredible it is to have had a career as long as he has mm. and to, for the most part, maintain consistently good films. Yeah. I think you see a lot of other directors, I think people who, for example, a lot of people come to is like Francis Ford Coppola, for example. Yes. Kind of the 70s and the 80s, there are a lot of films there that he is immensely praised for as a director. Yeah, as his kind of career went on, kind of that success didn't necessarily endure from him. There's a lot of mm. weird stories coming out of his new film, um, of kind of bankruptcy and how it was financed. Yeah. Um, but if you kind of compare the two of them, two two directors who have filmed or have created films that are on a similar level of kind of cultural relevance. And to say that Spielberg has, you know, he's, he he got to the kind of the 15, 20 year point in his career and just came out with two of the films he's best remembered for and then would go on to kind of finish the decade with Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's strange. And also kind of the 90s kind of sums up something that I always think of with, with Steven Spielberg in that he's kind of not afraid of doing a sequel but he's also yeah. kind of not afraid of moving on when a sequel doesn't necessarily do that well. Yeah. Because I think there are some there, there are the odd there's the odd example through his career of films that maybe don't land as well as as well as they kind of could do. Um. But it kind of just you just recovers so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like never mind on to the next one. Yeah, and even um, his like his arguably like not as good films, it's still like. He still makes them better than they should be. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think even even something like if you could look at like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, for example, it still has a lot of him in it. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's not granted. It, it's not as fondly remembered as a lot of the films in that franchise or throughout his career. But still, there's still him in there, and it's still kind of the enjoyment that you get from a Spielberg film still comes through for it from it. Um. So yeah, the nineties. <laughs> the nineties. What era. a decade. Yeah, just back to back. Um, yeah, I feel like it also kind of sums up his whole career. Just having these, he's mm. kind of a director who can walk the line. I think better than maybe anyone between what an audience loves, like going out on a Saturday night 
to a cinema mm-hmm. just to eat some popcorn and have a good time and like what gets Oscars <laughs> yeah because um, like and not even like just like watching this list or something like that where you're going to you get Oscars because it's a very serious story and it's very you know very well performed um but you know it gets Oscars as well for Jurassic Park and Jaws and all of his his actual blockbuster films that are made for audiences there to have a good time like even North films you can't deny that even the Oscars had to be like well this is so good that we can't not give it a nod <laughs> you know like <laughs> these films need to be acclaimed as more than just you know a, a genre piece or whatever you want to call it I guess um yeah and I think as his career goes along it kind of gets more and more interesting for me because it becomes less he's kind of less aiming for because I think almost the 90s blockbuster kind of everything just worked and everything was well-loved kind of run that he had was kind mm. of an accident. I don't think he planned to have a decade of big blockbusters. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think this was sort of happened. But I do kind of, I really enjoy his like kind of 2000 onward era of just either very small kind of dramas or um, sci-fi films that are quite... Uh, just about one kind of core concept, I guess. Um, mm. I really quite enjoy that. And I think I think the most interesting one, the one that works best in that manner, is probably um, Minority Report, which mm. is just a great film. It's just a weird film, too, if you haven't watched it in a while. Like, looking yeah, back on it, what a, it's only like, yeah, like, what a weirdly gross film for this guy to make. Um, <laughs> but it's just a, yeah, there's such a, a weird career and I think I think there's a clear kind of I don't know if it's ever been said out loud by him but I think you can kind of see that see it in the way that the films progress but I think Temple of Doom oddly enough was kind of a really big kind of uh turning point for him so I think that film got released and that film is very weirdly dark and kind of leading to more towards horror than the previous one um and almost, I was going to say almost, it is gory because it includes a man getting his heart ripped out. Um, so it's very kind of odd that he made that. And I think when you look before before that film, he was a bit more violent in his films, a bit more kind of not catering towards kids might be watching. Um, and I think after, after Temple of Doom, I think overall there's kind of a, a tonal shift where it becomes a bit more softer with his films um i don't think he ever gets quite as brutal as temple of doom i think the closest he gets maybe in some ways um would be his war films which don't even mm. but don't, they don't kind of play up the horror aspects of it for a blockbuster's sake <laughs> um they're there very much to like depict reality um so i think yeah it's kind of interesting that he starts out as you watch his films, it's interesting that his first film, his first major film at least, Jaws, is a horror film. Because, um, mm. you know, a horror director comes out and they make a really great film, especially now, and then you kind of expect them to always make horror films. Um, and obviously that, that didn't happen. Because <laughs> um, he just makes anything. I think, a, I think a friend of mine said like this kind of interesting kind of comment Um which I think is kind of sums the whole thing up where you get certain directors and they're very good at the thing that they do 
Um, you get Tarantino, who's great at dialogue and editing and so many different things. And you get uh, David Fincher, who's so good at what he does. And then, but with Spielberg, there's this kind of weird thing where his his kind of main talent is just being good at movies. <laughs> like, he's just good at doing all the movies. <laughs> um, no matter what he's around, he just makes it better by doing it the way he knows how to do it. Um, and I find that so kind of compelling about him that, especially when you consider that most of his films, he hasn't written. Um, mm. He's had influence over the script, obviously, but he's not a director who often... Uh, write to sort of films, which I think is very interesting. Um, I think, yeah. I mean, for you, do you feel like Spielberg is a director who, in your mind, is he the director that is the movie director? If that makes sense. He like he's the guy that makes movies better despite being around it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it, it's easy to kind of say that with kind of the complete filmography he's got, and it's mm. it's something that has definitely kind of been earned with just just the variety of things he's done. Like you say, he started with a horror film, and he doesn't really do another horror. Mm, yeah. I mean, the closest thing to... Obviously, you mentioned Temple of the Doom. Temple of the Doom. Temple <laughs> of the Doom. Um, but I can't really think of another... Kind of the closest thing in terms of horror is maybe War of the Worlds? Yeah. Yeah, kind of, yeah. And that's 30 years later. <laughs> and it, it's kind of miraculous that kind of to start with very much a genre film hmm. in in terms of being horror but a genre blockbuster yeah um and it's just it's just a really kind of complete career that so few people can really kind of match up to i think the versatility in terms of the roles that that he he, he comes to kind of speaks volumes to the fact that as an audience, you sometimes feel like you know him through his films. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can almost... Sometimes you can almost tell or get a feel for his kind of personality in that there is kind of that adventurous side, but on the stuff that he seems to keep on coming back to. Hmm, yeah. Like, for, for example, one big thing he, he tends to come back to is kind of like the World Wars. Hmm. Like, there is kind of a quite a consider Because even if you look at something like Rage of the Lost Ark... There are Nazis in it. It's set during the thirties and the forties. There's kind of the ties to, to to World War Two and kind of the historical anchoring, and there's a lot of that that does kind of come through. And I think, I think one of the one of the kind of greatest things about a lot of the more historical films he's done is that, I don't know if you get this sense, but I always almost feel like he almost approaches them kind of half as a kind of documentary maker. Yeah. In the, I'm not necessarily saying that you know everything he predicts kind of are fact, but they're very much kind of focused, isolated stories in big pictures of history. Mm, yeah. Um, things like saying Private Ryan, it's about kind of one group of soldiers, and they're not necessarily going to win the war. They're just going to save Private Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, something like um, Bridge of Spies, for example. It's not necessarily about winning the Cold War. It's about kind of the spies in question. It's kind mm. of about that specific piece of conflict. Something like The Post, for example. I think it's The Post. Is, is it about is it Vietnam or Watergate? 
I think it's leading up to Watergate. <laughs> I it's think, leading um, up to Watergate. I think the final... I remember very well that the final um, scene in that film is Watergate happening, and the final like line of dialogue is almost like... If it wasn't a Spielberg thing, film and it wasn't clearly like a one-off drama, it would be like, oh, we're doing the sequel, Watergate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so it is, it, it, yeah. But that kind of thing is like a... It's very much isolated on the, the, on the Meryl Streep and the Tom Hanks characters. Hmm. And I think that kind of speaks to the wider kind of filmography of what he's done in that there's this such a range of, of genres and topics... Yeah, he manages to come up, kind of almost make it work every time with just focusing in on kind of individual stories and what kind of draws people to the cinema in the first place. Hmm. Um, like Indiana Jones, for example, they're about these kind of lavish uh, and adventurous quests for things, but at the hmm. heart of them, you know, there is Indiana Jones and there's there is kind of. They're just that character that he never loses focus on. E.T., for example, it's about an alien coming to Earth. Is it focused on the big government kind of treatment of it? No, it's focused on a kid. Yeah. <laughs> just one one kid, or a kid's family, who happened to find the extraterrestrial. Yeah. Um, Jaws, for example, it's not necessarily about kind of the town panic. It's not like a massive apocalyptic, the shark that's coming for us, that's everybody run. It's very much about kind of that small group of characters mm. and it it kind of speaks to the fact that you know that film ends in the middle of nowhere with just those characters in the middle of the ocean yeah um i mean it's quite a big set piece but it's not like a massive action set piece it is just in the middle of nowhere the fact <laughs> yeah. that 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 kind of sequence has kind of the the action and the thrill that it does when there's just nothing there yeah. It's just a boat getting attacked by a shark. Yeah. <laughs> it just works. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of the isolated nature that tends to run through a lot of his kind of stories. Even something like Schindler's List. It's not necessarily about the Holocaust as a whole. It's kind of the focus is on Oscar Schindler and that one kind of that one that one part of the the whole bigger picture. Yeah. And I think he's excellent in kind of exploring the whole through kind of the parts hmm. and then by doing that often commenting on the larger picture yeah exactly yeah it's kind of you know if, if he if he's got a film that's set during the cold war it addresses the cold war and it encapsulates the, the cold war but there's a very human story that audiences can connect to and i think that's partly why um he does just connect with both critics and audiences hmm yeah. Uh, and I, I think, like especially more recently, I think there are some films that tend to lean either way. Um, perhaps which maybe didn't happen kind of in the early two thousands and the nineties. You know, I feel like films like BFG and Be Ready Player One do feel more like audience films, where where Bridge of Spies and The Post and whatever you do feel more for critical ones. But he still, I think, especially with the last two films he's made, I think he does still prove that he has the ability to relate to both. Yeah. Um, with like West Side Story and The Fableman. Hmm. Yeah. I um, think as well with um, I think that kind of discerns what works about his the films that don't work as well for him. Mm. Um, and I think it just comes down to when the characters don't work as well because you just yeah. don't have that grounding element that makes his films so good. Um, mm. When you compare the Indiana Jones movies 
aside from a few plot elements here and there, I think the real issue with uh, the fourth one is that the characters just don't stick well as much as like the previous ones do. Mm. Um, kind of the character of Mutt and I think the John Hurt's character um, mm. and like they're all kind of the villain as well. Like they all kind of, it, they kind of feel like they're doing their job in an adventure film and they're not actually being Spielberg fully likable, fleshed out characters. Um, and I think that kind of, that discerns what doesn't work about his films that don't uh, kind of get the audience on board as much. Um, mm. I think and on the flip side, um, it's it's probably for me this kind of the inverted reasoning for that is the reason why I I often think of the Last Crusade as, as the best Indiana Jones film. Yeah, same. Yeah, because um, kind of, obviously it, you know it, it's a film about going to find the Holy Grail, but it's actually just a film about a dad and a, a, a guy and a strange dad. Mm-hmm, yeah, and the film never forgets that as well. As the great part mm. is. Like, as soon as we get into near the end of the film where the Holy Grail is part of the plot way more and we're actually, like, it's in the grasp, the film kind of doesn't ignore it, but it kind of puts the father and the son way before any of that sort of stuff, really. Mm. Um, and I think as well, like, the same thing can be said in terms of, like, it not working as well. It can be said about uh, The Lost World, Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Because um, mm. it's a it's a very well-directed film and it's oftentimes really, really well kind of staged and lit and it works well as a kind of a almost I don't want to say I don't want to be too rude it's like a disposable action film but it it works really well as that um it's just that the characters don't leave an impression as much as they could do I feel like Jeff Goldblum for example has a lot less charisma for some reason um is kind of given less to do in terms of what he what you'd expect him to do <laughs> um and then mm. every other character is kind of just just too many characters for one, and then there's just kind of you don't really know why they're in the story. Um, and I think that's when his films kind of lose themselves a bit. But that's not to say that they just become nothing. Like they are still impeccably well designed films, and I still think mm. this is that film doesn't compare to the first one. I still think that my maybe my favorite kind of. Jurassic Park sequence might be in the second film where the two T-Rexes come after the big trailer. Um, and I think there's something about that scene that works so well for me. And I think as well, it's sort of fascinating that in, in his uh, Jurassic Park films, the issue and the kind of the action scene is usually around something that isn't necessarily about the dinosaurs. Um, mm. They sort of cause havoc and then the real issue is dealing with that havoc under kind of a time of pressure. Um, and I find that sort of interesting. And I think, again, that's when the films work their best is when they have a, when they're leaning far more into the horror kind of aspect of it. Um, and kind of the tension, like it's more kind of, kind of more like a thriller with dinosaurs than anything else. It's not really an action film uh, with dinosaurs. Um, which I think is, because if you compare, you know, these films without him directing them um, going forward, we get more into the territory of seeing the Spinosaurus, you know, defeat the T-Rex or whatever. And it's, I guess it's fun, but like, it's not nearly as engaging as what Spielberg does with just like people like hanging on, hanging on a wire and a car's going to hit them <laughs> like soon. Like, it's like mm. the way that he handles that is so much better than often than what we get in um, the later movies when he's not there. Um, so it's kind of even his films that don't work as well. Just 
still kind of get something like special because he's there. Um, mm. I think, I think honestly, out of all the films I've seen of his, I don't, I, I don't think we ever talk about this film. But for me, the only film that truly doesn't work, maybe at all for me, is um, Ready Player One. Um, mm. Have you seen this film, and what's your kind of opinion on it? <laughs> yeah. I kind of pinpointed this kind of before I went into this as the film, one of the only films in his entire filmography that I don't really like that much. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm not I'm not unsympathetic to what you're probably about to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel like it for for me. It's kind of an odd one mm. compared to a lot of his other films because. It's one of the few times I've watched a Steven Spielberg film and I've just not liked the characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's a strangely kind of flat protagonist for him. Yeah. Um, And maybe, you know, you could point to, if there is a more simplistic protagonist, maybe it's so the concept can be kind of explored a bit better and the emphasis can be put on that. Um, But again, for me, kind of the concept and a lot of kind of the action and the adventure of the film also just don't necessarily work for me, which is strange. Mm. Yeah, I think it's... Um, What do you think? It's just a film that I don't think it ever kind of gets off the ground. I feel like there's Mm. a few sequences here and there that are exciting just on on their own and you kind of have to decouple the thing around it, really. Mm. Um, And I think it's interesting when I was watching an interview with him where he described... I can't remember the audio film he picked, but I think he said that uh, this film, Nicky Nissan, was, was the hardest film he's ever ha- ever had to make, um, due to the kind of like the techno- technology involved with it, and kind of the, the long, like I think it was like at least five years of production, kind of getting it ready. Mm. Um, and I think it's such a shame that this film that he describes as his hardest kind of job and kind of took that long is, for me at least, just like a film that just doesn't at all work. I think there's it is just kind of a case where the characters kind of fall flat and I think that just massively hinders the entire film um, and there are times when the film just it just feels a bit gross <laughs> to like to kind of because mm. the amount of uh, references and easter eggs I guess that you can put into that film and it's all too much and it's all a bit kind of pointless and I don't really get what mm. the point is of the film by the end, not even like with like the IPs that they all have access to, but also just like the point of the actual character arc in the story. I just don't get it at all when it ends and it's kind of like he gets rewarded for it, for being so good at video games or whatever. Um, and I think there's kind of this weird ending where they, they all can go to the Oasis thing every weekend, but they can't go into it during the week and they have to live their actual lives. And it's kind of an ending where I'm like, really? That's that's the ending we're going, we're going with? <laughs> Everyone just follows this rule now, I guess. Um, it's kind of a, yeah, it's a very strange one. I don't think it works. And I think I think the only films I can pick out where, previous to this, where I kind of see a similar sort of flaw, kind of a similar kind of echo of what came before with his work as a, the film at 1941, which I've only seen half of. <laughs> I don't really know why. I think it was on TV. Um, but that film is his... He would say, I think, is his, his first failure uh, on that sort of mm. level. Um, 
and I remember watching half of it, and I remember thinking, this is insane <laughs> that Spielberg made this. Because it's like, it's again, it's Spielberg directing, so it's hard to be like, it's badly made, but at the same time, it's it's so expensive. <laughs> I think it's the way to put it. Like, every shot is something insane, and every joke is the biggest joke in the world, and every action scene is massive, and every potentially heartfelt moment is so like over the top um and i think that's when i think these are the times the only times i can really imagine in this entire career where i think the issue has been too much to play with um having the kind of freedom of a digital camera in a digital world and not really having that much time to think about the characters i think in these two occasions led to his only i would say his only real failures in his careers um but even then it's kind of hard to hate them because they're still like there's still a lot of shots in those songs i'm like wow like no one else could do that really (laughs) yeah um yeah so i think that kind of and again he's made like nearly 50 films and i can only pick two and call Mm. them maybe a failure (laughs) that's that's ridiculous (laughs) isn't it yeah like two films that are kind of failures but you can't help but kind of you can't help but feel a bit kind of like, oh, but it has positives here and there. Um, Even yeah. if like 10 of them hadn't worked, yeah. he st- would still be sat here saying, that's pretty good. It's amazing, yeah, that he's done that. And <laughs> yeah. I I mean, how do you feel, I guess, about his his like latest era, I guess? His like past 10 years, which doesn't include Radio Player 1, but also just, like you say, like The Post, The Woman's, mm. and, you know, like these films that are far more smaller than he, I think, I think he's ever done before, really. I think they're the kind of films that he wouldn't necessarily have got the chance to make earlier on, if you know what I mean. Mm. Like kind of a new filmmaker, maybe aside from Ready Player One, because it is quite a big blockbustery film. Yeah. But I think a lot of the, the, the other films are kind of... They reflect him quite well. Mm. Kind of... Because it's not... It feels insulting to describe it as more of a smaller era. Yeah. Um, but I think he, he, he is kind of more... Um, what was the word? Um, not small scale, but you know, a little, a little bit quieter in the films mm. that that he makes. Not necessarily that he's made less, but like the films themselves, they seem a lot more focused, a bit quieter. Not necessarily films that have had the big come and see this film. It's from Steven Spielberg. Yeah, They're the kind of films that just feel a bit more personal and more like you know he he's had this kind of big career, big adventure a lot of big historical kind of events he's tackled. Um, it kind of films like he, feels like he's maybe kind of sat down and thought, not not that you would, not that you'd kind of get to the end of a decade and say, hmm, what am I going to do for the next 10 years? <laughs> yeah. But it almost does kind of feel like, especially from, from maybe Tintin onward, hmm. so you've kind of got Warhorse, uh, Lincoln, Bridge of Spies, BFG Post, then Ready Player One, West Side Story and Fablemans. That kind of stretch of maybe seven six or seven years like poke from warhorse to post it yeah. does just feel a bit more it does feel smaller more personal and it they're the kind of films that you know a new filmmaker who hasn't got kind of spielberg name to them wouldn't necessarily get to do yeah. um, that isn't a criticism of him by the way that's just you know good for him <laughs> he's yeah. got a chance to make them um and it's not necessarily that he's slowed down. I think it's more that 
he's now making films because he really wants to make them. Mm, yeah. Like I think if you look at maybe the seventies and the eighties and the nineties, um, not that he doesn't care about them, but I think obviously immensely cares a great deal. But it, it, it's kind of like, oh yeah, let's do that, let's do that, let's do that, let's do everything possible. Um, now it does more, more feel more like, so this is the story I, I really want to do. And mm. kind of in that vein, West Side Story and Ready Player One kind of stick out a bit. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like you, even... you, you can kind of band like Warhorse, Lincoln, Bridge of Spies, The Post and The Failmans as kind of the same category. And then in between you've got West Side Story, Ready Player One and, and the BFG. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but again, again, that does just kind of speak to who he is as a director. There is the low-key historical stuff. And then all of a sudden we have um, big, heartfelt, animated, heavy science fiction, a musical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Hmm. I, I think as well, what's her story, arguably, could be the most, um, aside from the Fablemans, but the most kind of personal thing he's done in terms of just, I know how much he loves that original film. Um, mm. And it's just a huge kind of cornerstone of the way he makes films. Um, yeah. To the point where when I watched the original about, I think before the, the new one came out, but about two years ago, something like that, I remember watching it and just thinking, this this could be a Spielberg film already. Like, I could already <laughs> imagine he directed this. Um, there's something about the blocking and the camera movements and the whole, I mean, the whole thing, really. It could be a Spielberg film already. And then to see him get the chance to direct that film uh, decades later and kind of really nail it as well like that film for me works on like almost like every level really um and i think it's probably in terms of the musicals that came out the past couple of years i think it's probably my favorite that's came out i think it's also it's a huge shame as well money wise that uh lately his films haven't been doing that well um mm. and i think that's kind of i think out of all the things that worry, worry me about where cinema's going i think hearing that steven spielberg's latest film that's a big film of you know a huge cast and a musical and all this doesn't get that much money. I think that worries me the most. <laughs> um, that no matter how many names you attach to a project, and even the project is a re, um, a kind of a, a remake of a film that everyone knows, even that film doesn't do that well. Um, mm. It is kind of a bit like, ooh, what's happening? <laughs> what, what are we doing? <laughs> How's that happened? Um, it's a bit worrying, and I think. I think that his latest films, the Philemons and West Side Story, back to back are just so like incredibly personal because like they're films that have is a film that's inspired him that he's remade in his way that I imagine he's been making in his head for the past like four years, <laughs> and then you have the uh, Philemons, which is a story about his family essentially um, that he wrote during the pandemic because you know he had, he had the time, <laughs> um, so I think yeah it's kind of been an interesting era and I think. Maybe before the pandemic or before um, what's her story, he might have been about to kind of um, do another blockbuster run and starting with uh, Ready Player One. But I'm kind of glad that for whatever reasons, he's kind of went back to making films purely, purely because they interest him and have always interested him mm. um, or telling something about his life in some way. Um, which I find fascinating, really. I think as well, in his, all of his films, you can't help but feel like you're getting a, a piece of his story in some ways. Um, there's so much of him in the films that you can't help but feel like, like I said before, really, like you can't help but feel like you know him. 
this via his directing tools and why he kind of the, the reoccurring themes in all of the films, especially mm. with fathers and sons and you know family. Um, something about him, his directing style, which is very, you know, it's very personal no matter what, I guess. Um, I think it's inspired clearly a lot because I think last week we talked about J.J. Abrams. Um, he's just he's in, he's inspired a lot of people to make films in a cer- certain way and to kind of bring forth a, a visual language that I don't think would be there without him. Um, mm. Even though, of course, he was inspired by many different films and filmmakers like, like John Ford. Um, but, yeah, he just kind of... He just nails it every time, really. And I think it's... I think so many of his films... When you think about like how many films inspire people to make, to go on to have a career in filmmaking, um, you, you, you can't imagine how many people have went on to have a career in filmmaking because they watched E.T. or Indiana Jones or whatever. Like The amount of films that this guy's made that have inspired people to go on to that career, it must be a, a huge number. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> they're such inspiring films. Like, I think that's kind of what's interesting about them, really, for everyone that loves film, is that they're films that work in their own narrative and are investing in like the characters and what's happening on screen, but they're also like inspiring in terms of how they're made. You can't help but, oddly enough, notice how they're made, even though you're so invested. Mm. Um, and it's just kind of weird, kind of tight rollback that he does all the time, I guess. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, for you, is there kind of, I mean, when you think about you know, the the amount of films that he's made, do you kind of feel like so much has been inspired <laughs> kind of by him at this point? That's kind of, you mm. can't really decouple movies and Spielberg. Yeah, I think as well, it's just, it's strange that as well, you're looking at people being inspired by him now still. Mm, yeah. You know, there are people like, for example, someone like J.J. Abrams who would have probably been inspired, you know, to make these, to, to make films in a similar vein as Spielberg, or just to get into film. He'd mm. have probably been inspired during the seventies and the eighties. Mm, yeah. Um, and to say that you know there are genuinely established directors, um, not just kind of new blood, but established directors who have been inspired by him and who are in turn inspiring other people like we mentioned last week how impressive someone someone like jj abrams's career has been yeah you think people are then inspired by him and so spielberg kind of exists in this it's almost like be beyond elite category of people who mm. who are as much as much as part, part of cinema and the history of cinema as like a projector screen or a cinema itself, yeah. you know he is like almost like an institution himself. Hmm. Um, and there are so few people that can kind of claim to have that kind of relevance. Um, and you know, almost it's almost like the longer he goes on, the longer or the more he'll establish that status. But I think it's just immense to see how even in even in fifty years time time from now. I don't think his name will be forgotten. Mm, no, definitely not. Um, okay. He's just had such, such an impact of this almost, almost like a gold standard of action and adventure. And the, the big thing you mentioned is obviously the blocking, but just of, of action adventure, he will almost always be the, the benchmark for it. Or, or not, if not even higher than the benchmark, the, the, the upper ceiling. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just incredible that you know he he has had that that influence hmm. um, over so many people. Like even even people not necessarily like us, not people who who've who haven't necessarily done degrees or but just go to the cinema every now and then as more more a pastime. Even they know Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Um <laughs> and he is part of that kind of that class of celebrity kind of filmmakers. Um but he's also somebody who's carried that kind of title and carried it well. He he's he's almost never buckled to the pressure. Yeah. Because you see that with a lot of filmmakers, mm. you know they get they get labels thrown at them and they get titles given to them and, and awards, and through almost through no fault of their own, almost they do kind of buckle under that pressure. Yeah. Um, whereas the Steven Spielberg, that pressure, you know, he sailed past that pressure about twenty, thirty years ago. Mm. <laughs> um. So yeah, it's kind of. Yeah. It's yeah, it, it, think... it's it's an immense legacy that he left. Yeah, um, I think a perfect really example of that is. Yeah, I think yeah the example I think about that when it comes to you know directors who get a lot of pressure put onto them of like I think of Enlight Shyamalan who gets to mm. when his like films were really taking off and his first three films especially, um, and you kind of get this kind of a big kind of circus around is he the next Spielberg. And mm. I remember there's a cover, I can't remember what magazine it is, but there's a cover of him directing and it's like, like in big, huge letters to say, is this the next Spielberg? And mm. there's so much about that that kind of pressure that you can't help but feel so bad for the person like, going forward in their career where they just want to make movies. Um, mm. And the fact that they're getting like certain titles and certain names and of course, at some point, they're going to make a film that doesn't work as well. And I think with that director in particular, the idea that he's had a couple of films that didn't work um, and then to kind of just be thrown away almost for quite a while um, is kind of a very sad kind of thing. And I think I'm just, I was always kind of surprised and very, you know, in awe of the fact that Spielberg is Spielberg, but never, at least in my mind, from what I've seen, like thinks about it that much. <laughs> um mm. Like he kind of, I mean, when you as as us have like as people who have went into filmmaking as uh, a degree and hopefully a job at some point. Um, mm-hmm. When you whenever you say that to someone uh, that you're doing filmmaking, the amount of times you get the someone, no matter who they are, uh, <laughs> saying, "Oh, are you the next Spielberg?" Something yeah. like that. Like that's the level he's at. Where no matter mm-hmm. who you are on the planet. You think filmmaker, your mind immediately goes to Steven Spielberg, um, mm. and that's just a that is an amazing kind of relationship <laughs> to have with a word, <laughs> you know. Um, mm. There are so few people that are so good at their whatever, like their art form or their work, where the name of the work is the same thing almost as your name. <laughs> mm. Like that's just insane, really. I think that for me is kind of you know just the perfect example of where he's at um and what i think he'll be there for an insanely long time i can't really imagine at this point a filmmaker who's going to have a career as long as him and also Mm. as consistently you know great as his is um Mm. yeah so i think yeah i don't know if you want to say anything else about this subject or (laughs) 
I feel like we've almost come to like a natural closing statement with that. <laughs> yeah, that's um, Spielberg is film. Yeah, he is film. Bow down before him. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think because he, he he does have another film coming up that's just going to production. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it's worth noting he um, he's credited with kind of the creation and the um, sort of the writing. For video games as well. Oh, oh yeah. I think, He's credited yeah. with what is it? Uh, Medal of Honor. That's yeah, what a weird one. Creation. Because <laughs> um, he also produced, he, like he produced um, Brand of, Band of Brothers as well. There's a lot of kind of mm. World War Two kind of, kind of stories. But yeah. yeah, so he's got um, um, untitled Frank Bullet project. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. Uh, based on the character played by Steve McQueen in nineteen sixty eight, Frank Bullet. Hmm. That's um, gonna be interesting. <laughs> but yeah, even that, you can see how, how that might link to Steven Spielberg. Yeah, definitely. You yeah. can see how he might have a fondness for that character or or, or kind of that, that time and how he's how he's wanting to take that forward and it kinda of links with some of the other stuff he's done. Um but yeah, he, he is he is the picture the picture definition of legend. You know, if you look, if you go in the dictionary, <laughs> there's a <Yeah>. little picture. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's a word people use a lot, and it's a word, um, even what I'm saying right now, people say it a lot. You never say, it's, oh, the word legend's used a lot, but it fits him. Well, <laughs> I find myself saying that. So mm. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that kind of sums it up, yeah. Um, mm. So I guess it comes to a close then on our podcast today. <laughs> um, it does. Yeah. Uh, so I hope you enjoyed this one. Very similar to our kind of last one on J.J. Abrams. We kind of thought, mm-hmm. if we're going to talk about J.J. Abrams, why not talk about his father, <laughs> Steven Spielberg? <laughs> <laughs> uh, why not just do that? Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any comments to make, let us know. Uh, get in contact anywhere you can on the on the Instagram or via the podcast service that you're on. Um, happy to get in touch with you and uh, yeah, just discuss this topic or anything really with films. Mm-hmm. Um, just to remind you again, we have the Instagram account at Marvelous Cinema Podcast. Uh, we have reviews and rankings. Currently doing the Marvel Fears uh, rankings. Fears two ranked uh, got done uh, well today. Uh, so well, two days ago technically when it's gets released. <laughs> um, yeah, for so... you it'll be two days ago. So <laughs> yeah, um, time so, yeah, is funny in it. Time is insane, really, when you think about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that kind of wraps up for today. Um, thank you for listening, and goodbye. Yeah, thank you very much for listening. Bye.